0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Genesis chapter 1, as we kick off a new series that we have entitled The Story of God. Um, If you've been with us since January, you know that we've been making a big push this year to try to get everybody into the scriptures, to read the Bible. And so we actually partnered with the Bible Project uh, earlier this year. They put together a, a, a reading plan to help us read to the Bible in a year. And if you have not jumped into that... Um, it's not too late. We just started 1 Samuel today. Anybody else jump into 1 Samuel with me today? All right, we got a couple at least right, that are still with us that made it through Leviticus, so congratulations. And so um, you can go download the Read Scripture app on the App Store. It's free. Follow along with us. You can watch the video for 1 Samuel today and, and read the portion of Scripture um, with us. And so at the beginning of the year, first two sermons of uh, the new year, Adam came and preached a series entitled It Is Written which he talked about what the Bible is, how we read it, how we interpret it, all that good stuff. If you've not heard those sermons, you can go and listen to those on our website. And so um, one way that we want to continue to aid you in reading the Scripture is we wanted to launch a seven-week series um, entitled The Story of God, where we're, we're basically just going to show you how this Bible, though it's made up of all of these different verses and chapters and books, it's really just telling one big unified story that leads to Jesus. And the reason we want to spend time doing this is because if we do not understand this story, you will never really understand your story. You will never really understand who you were meant to be and how to live as a man or woman that God has created you to be. And so to correspond with this series, what we are doing is if, um, and I'm going to encourage you right now, if you're not in a missional community, this is a great time to get involved in one Because over the next seven weeks, what we're going to do is have a curriculum that corresponds with each sermon um, to help you understand the story of God. So whether you believe the story or not, if you'll plug into one of these MCs, if you'll be here for the series you'll at least walk away understanding what the story is about, okay? And that is our desire for this series. Um, If you're here and you're like, what in the world is a missional community? Or you just want to know more information about our church, the best way that you can learn about us is by filling out one of these Connect cards. Um, If you have not received one of these yet... I would encourage you to come and see me after this is over. I'll be at the welcome table in the foyer. Fill out some information about yourself. And it's just a way for us to have a record of your visit and help you know what might be the best next steps for your family to take, okay, so that we can serve you the best of our ability. So again, uh, good to see everyone. Welcome to each of you. Genesis chapter 1 is where we are going to start. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and verses 26 through 31. And if you're having a hard time... Find in the book of Genesis chapter 1. It's on page 1 in my Bible. So maybe maybe that'll be helpful for you if you're new to the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree and seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food." And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have now to come and to hear from you. We recognize that your word today is powerful, it's active, and it's living. And we pray that through your spirit that you will take these words, that you will drive them deep into our hearts, that you will help us to see that this story is not just any old story, but is the ultimate reality that shapes this universe, that shapes our lives and everything in it. I pray right now that you will do what only you can do. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray and ask these things. Amen. Um, I just started reading my very first fiction novel. Um, Don't judge me. I know I'm 34 years old and I should probably have read fiction by now, but this is a big step for me. If you ask my wife, when we got married, she taught 7th through 12th grade English and she loved fiction and she would come home oftentimes from school and she'd say, uh, you know, hey, right now in our class, we're going through this story and do you remember in this part of the story? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I have no idea what you're talking about, never heard of that book, never read it. She'd be like, well, Jared, I mean, come on. I mean, everyone's read To Kill a Mockingbird or, or whatever it was that she was reading with her class. And I'm like, no, I've never read fiction. I'm like, we didn't do that at Paragould High School. They didn't make us read those kind of books. And so one day she ran into one of my English teachers from school and she even asked, she was like, hey, what did y'all do in Paragould School District in the English system? Just wondering, like, did y'all ever read she starts naming all these books? And my teacher literally looked at her and was like, yeah, like we all read those books. Jared did not, <laughs> but we did as a, a school system. Yeah, you were Required to read that. I don't know how I graduated, but somehow I made it through without ever reading a fiction book. And uh, last year, a couple of pastor friends of mine in Washington... We're telling me that, like, if you read fiction, it'll actually make you a better pastor. I don't know where they got that from, but, like, they're giving me all these different, you know, reasons for it, and uh, so they give me this list of fiction books to read, and, of course, Megan's like, you'll never read those. It's over 200 pages long. You won't read a fiction book over 200 pages, and so she gives me her own list of fiction books that I should read, and I'm looking at them, and, like, by the way, it was a seventh grade level reading, and I'm like, Megan, I've got a master's degree, like, what an insult, you know, to my intelligence, and so, um, so, like, she's trying to get me to read fiction. Others try to get me to read. I've never read fiction. I tried to do The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn last year on audio, and I couldn't even finish it. And so, um, but three weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going all in. So I purchased a 580-page fiction novel that is entitled The Book of Strange New Things. Has anybody heard of The Book of Strange New Things? One person. Okay, fantastic. Well, let me give you a summary of a book of The Strange New Things without spoiling anything for you. Basically... This book is about a British missionary who is sent to another planet to minister to a group of aliens. So, already setting up to be a great read, huh? And so, um, these aliens are called the Oatians because they live on the planet. Oh, don't you shake your head at me, Kyle. And so... uh, They're on this planet oasis, all right? And here's the thing. These Oasians they call the Bible the book of the strange new things. And so this minister, this missionary, his name's uh, Peter, he begins to realize that because the Bible takes place primarily on planet Earth, right, they don't don't understand half of the stuff in there. They're like, we've never heard of a shepherd. We've never seen sheep. And so what Peter decides to do is he says, I'm just going to transliterate the Bible, I'm just going to start editing it. I'm going to cut out parts that they don't understand and just give them the stuff they do understand. And when he does this, the aliens rebuke him for it. And what they say to him is, no, 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 no. Don't, don't you edit this. Don't you cut this out? Because if you try to cut stuff out, you're going to flatten the story. No, we don't want it as you give it to us. We want it as God gave it to us. We want the book in all of its strange new thingness. And that's what the book is about. And as I began to think about that this past week, I thought, man, this should be the attitude of every Christian or every person who, pl- who claims to believe this is God's word to us. Like the Oatians, we should say, you know what, no matter how difficult this may be to read, no matter how tempted I am maybe to skip over the parts I don't like or I don't understand, ultimately because I want to know the one true God. Because I want to know who he is and and what he's done through Christ and how that shapes who I am and how I'm called to live. I want this Bible as it is. I want to know this story and not just pieces of the story, not just the sections that I like. I want to know it all and all of its strange new thingness. You would think that this would be the desire of every person who claims to believe this Bible. But the problem is we all have a problem with the Bible. In that, few of us actually read it. I talked with a pastor friend of mine in Starbucks this past week, who's a pastor here in town. And he told me that they recently surveyed their church, and out of 105 people, uh, 13 of them claim to regularly read the Bible. 13 of 105. I would assume when it comes to our church, the percentages are not that much different. And that is why the Bible sells 3,400 copies every hour and over 25 million copies every year. As one author has said, it is the best-selling book that is rarely ever read. We show up here once a week, and yeah, we hear someone preach out of the Bible. We listen to a podcast, or we read a book about the Bible, but rarely do we actually open it up and read it for ourselves. And I think the reason that is is because, honestly, I mean, this is a pretty complex and dense book. Actually, it's more like a library. It's got 66 different books in it. It's written in different genres, in different tones, in different contexts, in different languages that we don't speak anymore. And not to mention that, there is a bunch of strange stuff inside of it, right? I mean, on page two, there's a talking snake, right? And so I think because we are too busy as it is, We look at this and we just say, you know what, I'm just going to set it aside. But listen, as we've already said, if we're going to experience the life that God wants us to experience, if we're going to make sense of our story, we have to first make sense of the story. And in order to make sense of this story, we need to start where all good stories do, in the beginning. And so if you look with me again in Genesis chapter 1, here's what I want you to see. Is when we dive into Genesis 1, what we're going to see is that this is telling a different kind of story that is answering a different kind of question that ultimately is calling us into a different way to live. What we're going to discover when we read just in the first couple of chapters is it's telling a different kind of story that's asking a different kind of question that's inviting us into a different way to live. First, this is telling a different kind of story. When you read Genesis for the very first time, You cannot help but notice there's this phrase that is repeated through chapter 1 where after God would create, it would say that it was good. So for example... In Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, it says, God created light, and it was good. Verse 10, he created the land and the seas, and it was good. Verse 12, he created the plants and the vegetation, and it was good. Verse 18, he created the sun and the moon, and it was good. Verse 21, he created sea creatures and birds, and it was good. Verse 25, he created livestock, and it was good. And then verse 31, after creating humanity at the climax of his creation, God looked at everything he had created and said, Behold, it is very good. Seven different times we see this repeated, right? The author clearly wants us to see something here. And that was that when the world was created, it was created good. Now to you, you may be like, okay, I've heard that before, or what's the big deal? What you need to understand is that when the book of Genesis was written, this idea of a God creating a good world was a revolutionary idea. Did you know that when Genesis was written it was not the very first creation story ever written down. Did you know that? You do your history and you look at it. There was actually several creation stories that were floating around the world at this time. And the most popular one was an ancient Babylonian account that was written on clay tablets that was known as the Enuma Elish. And the Enuma Elish basically said this. It said also that the world was created in six days... But it says this is the way the world was created. It's basically all of these gods were at war with one another. And as they were being torn limb from limb, it was their torn body parts that began to create the world. I'm not making this up. And what the story goes on to say, and by the way, if you were uh, under Babylonian ruler, like you would have to read this account every single new year. So this was forming your life, it's forming your children, all that. What they would say is that the world was created by all these broken, you know, torn off body parts of the gods. And then humanity was simply an afterthought because the king of the gods, Marduk, said he needed some slaves for himself. So he created humanity to be his slaves. So if you were a human being who grew up believing this, and the majority of people did back in this time, you would think, okay, the world was an accident, and I'm only here to serve this evil, violent God. And this seems very bizarre, but I'm telling you, it was very common belief among the people. But then Genesis is written, and you see a very different creation account being told. You see a very different kind of story, a story that tells us that the world was not a bad place created on accident, but it was actually a good place created on purpose. What you see in this story is that humans were not created just as slaves to keep the gods happy, but rather we were created in the image of God whose desire is for us to be happy in him. And this tells us, guys, a whole lot about creation, but it tells us even more about our creator. And what it tells us is this, is that we have a good God who wants us to have pleasure. We have a good God who actually wants us to experience a good and fruitful life. We have a good God who actually wants to bless us. And it's so important that you get this because a lot of people in the South, we typically pick up our theology in Genesis 3 rather than Genesis 1. And therefore we end up thinking Christianity is primarily about rules to be followed when actually it's about a joy to be found. And that joy is ultimately found in God. You see, if you skip over Genesis 1 and 2, You forget that God could have created the world any way He wanted. Think about that. Any way He wanted. And rather than making the world in black and white, He created it in vivid color and gave us eyes to behold beauty. Rather than creating the world bland, He gave us taste buds. Think about that. To enjoy food and drink. He created sex. And he didn't just make it some physical transaction. He made it pleasurable and spiritual within the boundaries of marriage. We have a good God. The point is, when you read Genesis 1 and 2 in its proper context, you see it is a different kind of story. This is, we have a good God who created a good world for our good and ultimately his glory, which leads me to my next point. This is not only a different kind of story. This is a different kind of story that is answering a different kind of question. I grew up in... uh, The church, my whole life, and when I grew up in the church, I grew up in the eighties and nineties, where Ray Bolts was king, (laughs) and everybody was reading Genesis, trying to figure out how did God actually create the world. Like, was it a literal six days? Does "day" actually mean day? Was there a gap theory? Right, that was all the buzz. In fact, when I went to youth camp as a kid, they brought in, and I was in seventh grade. Some like Christian scientists that brought these toy dinosaurs and these posters and his whole big thing was about how God created the world. And he used it as some sort of like evangelistic skit and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that's just bad that you shouldn't study, right, how God created the world. But listen, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you need to understand it's not written as a science book, which means the question that we should be asking when we read Genesis 1 and 2 is not how did God create the world? The point is he created the world. And the question, therefore, is not how did he do it, but why did he do it? Have you ever thought about that? The question is not how did God actually lay the foundations of the world, but the question the author of Genesis wants us to ask is why did he do it? Why, have you ever thought about that? Why did God ever do this? Why? And I think in order for us to answer that question of why did God create the world, we have to understand, well, what did God do before he created the world? You ever thought about that? What was God doing before he created the world? Because he's existed from eternity past. So, So what did he do? And fortunately, Jesus, who was there, tells us. In John 17, 24, I'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus says, Father, you cannot miss this. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me, look at this, because you have loved me, Before the foundation of the world. What was God doing before he laid the foundation of the world? Well, I'll tell you. The father was loving his son. That's what he was doing before the foundations of the world. And what Matthew 3 tells us is that it is through his spirit that he pours out his love to the Son. And so what we look at is when we see before the foundations of the world, what we have a picture of is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this perfect triune relationship, a God three in one, who are constantly stirring their affections up for one another. And if you're like, okay, Jared, that's great, but what in the world does that have to do with creation? Everything... Because when you understand God as a triune God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who from eternity past had been loving one another with this unconditional, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love, what you then come to understand is this, listen, when God created the world, he did not do it because he was lonely. Nor did he create this world because he somehow needed us to fill a gap he didn't already have. But rather, when you want to know why did God create the world, the reason is, is because he could not help but share his love with others. Because God is the opposite of greedy. Because he is the opposite of selfish and empty. He had to, out of the overflow of his own love, begin to create a world and a humanity that he could share his love with for no other reason other than that's just who he is. It was out of love that God created. And it's why, by the way, when he creates Adam and he says, I created you in my image, he says, you cannot image me apart from another person that you are going to love. It's not good for you to be alone, so he creates for him a wife. He says, love her, and then you. Now, y'all create, have children, love these children, and fill the earth with more people who can know my love and then love and bless others the way I have loved and blessed you. The question is not how did God create the world, but why. And he created because, as it says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And he simply wanted to share that love with us. How incredible is that? The creation story is telling a different kind of story that is answering a different kind of question. And then ultimately, it's inviting us into a different kind of life. When you read in Genesis 1, eventually come to Genesis 2, and in verse 16 and 17, there's this really bizarre turn of events where everything that God created was good and it was for Adam and Eve to enjoy. But then in verse 16 and 17, we find this tree. And it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God looks at Adam and Eve and he says, hey, everything I've created is for your goods. You can have it, enjoy it, but do not eat from this tree because when you do, you will die. Now, let me ask you this. Why do you think God ever put that tree there? Have you ever asked that? Maybe I'm the only one that reads the Bible that way. What's going on here? Why did God ever put a tree in there that he knew if they ate of it, they would die? And there's been lots of debate over this throughout the years, but here's what I believe the narrative is teaching us, is the reason God put this tree here is though he cannot help but love us, he gives us an option of whether or not we want to love him. He gives us an option of whether or not we want to trust that he is good, right, and perfect and allow him to define for us what is good, right, and perfect. Or do I want to trust myself? And do I want to define for myself what's good, right, and perfect? He gives us an option. Do do I want God to rule over my life, this good God? Or do I want to rule over my own life? And what we need to understand is, listen, that is the same question that is before us every second of every day. This morning when you woke up, you had a decision to make. When you leave here, you have a decision to make. As you go throughout your day and throughout the week, you have a decision to make. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust myself? Am I going to believe God knows what's best for my life or am I going to decide what I think is best for my life? For some of you here today, the answer to that question is clear. By how you spend your time, by how you spend your money, by the things that you daydream about, the decisions that you make. For some of you in here today, you have begun to believe the lie that you know better how to run your life than the author of life. For some in here today, you are cutting out parts of the scripture or setting it aside because, honestly, it just doesn't fit into your worldview. Some of us this morning, we are trying to form God into our image rather than embracing our role as one made in his image. And if that is you, I just want to ask you this morning, like, how is that working for you? Just stop and think about that for a second. Because from what I discovered in Jared Pickney's life and the lives of hundreds of others I've counseled with over the years, as though there may be a season where that does go well, in the end it always ends poorly. I met with a girl in, that was in jail just three weeks ago who had asked me to come and visit her. And we began to talk and she said, I believe there is a God but I don't know if there's one true God. And I said, well, well, what do you believe? And she said, I believe in love. That's what I believe in, just love. Like I was like, like love, like, like God is love or just like love? Like, no, just love, just believe in love. And then she gave me this really like elegant, like sound and sophisticated definition of her worldview. And I just said like, well, how's that working for you? As you sit here in, in stripes. And I wasn't trying to be condescending, but she just began to cry, and she says, it's actually working terrible for me. I'm addicted to meth. I've lost my, my child. I've burnt every bridge. And I said, yeah, because you're living outside of the reality of how you were created to, to live. You're buying into a false narrative, and maybe that's where some of you are this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. It does not matter how right you think you are or how right you feel about something. If it does not line up with the story of God, the end is death. We'll see that next week with Adam and Eve, and I won't steal the thunder because Adam will be preaching on that. But we also see that in our own lives. We see that in our own lives. Every time we choose to walk out of step with the story of God, things go bad. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not by the end of the year, but eventually the writer says it leads to death. The bad news is this morning is this. No matter who you are or where you come from, if you are continue on a path of trying to run your own life, Things will eventually lead to destruction. The good news is, God really is inviting each of us today into a different way to live. The good news is, today, God is inviting each of us to embrace His design of how life works best. God is inviting us to embrace His calling on our lives. He is inviting us to reject the American dream where life is all about us and to embrace the biblical narrative where life is all about Him. He's inviting us to trust that He is love and that when we walk in His way, then and only then will we experience the life and the love that we have been longing for. Some of you this morning, you sit here in this building and the band plays songs and as I preach, God feels like a million miles away. As if he just created this world and then just stepped back from it. Maybe some of you believed he's actually very distant from you right now. That he does not desire to be close with you. But the reality is nothing could be further from the truth. Because the very nature of God is he's a God who desires to speak with you. Right now. Right now. The very nature of God is he's a God who wants to walk with you right now he wants to have a relationship with you right now and the good news is the good news is if you ever doubt that all you have to do is look to Jesus for proof in Genesis 1 the whole Bible starts with this phrase in the beginning it's a phrase we actually don't see again until John chapter 1 verse 1 Where John says this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And then verse 14. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Genesis 1 starts. In the beginning was. God. And then he spoke a word. That word was Jesus Christ. The one whom the writer of Hebrew says is the exact image of God, the one through whom the whole world was created. And here's what I want you to meditate on this morning. What's so incredible about the gospel is this truth, is that the word who made matter became matter. The one whom through the whole world became visible, became visible for you and me. And while here on earth, He lived a perfectly pure life that none of us could ever live. He then went to a cross and there at the cross, he spoke on our behalf. But for the first time ever at the cross, when Jesus spoke, he heard nothing back from his father. And for the first time ever, rather than Jesus crying out to God and saying, My Father, he just said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the cross, in that moment, for the first time, Jesus was met with silence whenever he went to his Father. The Spirit was not hovering over him. He heard nothing but silence. Why? Because at that moment, in order for us to be rescued, Jesus had to be made without form and without void. At the cross, the opposite of creation had to happen to Jesus. He was decreated. He was deconstructed. He was unmade so that in him you can be remade. The one in whom created the world was decreated so you can be recreated, so that we can be forgiven so that we can be purified, so that we can be made new and know without a shadow of a doubt that we can receive the love of God that we actually all in here are longing to receive. What's so amazing is this is a love that we do not have to earn and we do not have to deserve. If you want to receive this love today that you have been created to experience, all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is believe the gospel. To believe that Jesus lived a perfect life you couldn't live and died a death you deserve to die and that he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell so that now you can have a relationship with this God who is love. All you have to do is trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and you can, as Zephaniah 3 says, know that God will rejoice over you with singing. I've so needed to hear this message for myself this past week. I, was, uh, I turned 34 yesterday, and, and for me, you know, I have a great life. I really do, and I'm so blessed. But it seems like every year around my birthday, and maybe this is because I'm a three on the Enneagram, I don't know. It's like every year around my birthday, I just start, like, putting my life in perspective, and I'm like, man, have I really fulfilled my calling? Like, am I really making good use of my time here on earth? Have I really accomplished enough? And, and, and I just begin to kind of beat myself up sometimes. I start getting anxious, start feeling shame, just melancholy. And I'll tell you, like, in those moments, like, Netflix don't help. Right? Like, like there's just nothing really that, I mean, I can numb my pain with something, but that stuff's going to come back. Like, I want healing from that. And this past week, I on, on Friday, I called my wife while I was working on my sermon because I was just really heavy. And I'll be honest, like, I didn't even really want to, I, I just... Wasn't even in a, I wasn't in a good spot, so I called my wife and just began to confess to her, just some stuff that's going on in my heart. And uh, she was so gracious after I got in sharing. And I was like, "You don't have to say anything. Like I'm not asking you to give me some profound word. But I just need to share this." And she said, "Well, all I just want to say is that like maybe you should believe what you're preaching on Sunday. That the Creator of the universe created you and then saved you, not because you performed anything great, but simply because He loves you." And in that moment, man, the Spirit just made that alive in my heart, and I found rest, and I found peace, and I found energy. And, and listen, I just that to say this. I don't know where your hope is this morning, but I'm telling you, and you know it's true. I don't have to make anything up. You're sitting there, and you know it's true this morning. You will not find rest and satisfaction apart from knowing this truth in your heart. You were created for God. And only when your story intersects with his will your life begin to make sense and will you begin to experience the fulfillment that you are longing for. The truth is today, none of us in here have imaged God perfectly, have we? Right? We've all at times chose to be the ruler of our own life, the captain of our own soul. As a result of that, we all deserve death because of our sin against our holy creator God who puts the very breath that we have right now in our lungs. And yet, rather than God giving us all death right now, he went and tasted death for us. Your son came and laid down his life for you so that you could have life in him. So that you can now be forgiven and freed, redeemed and restored. And that is, by the way, the whole purpose. God's whole goal for your life. In Genesis 1, right? It says the world was without form and void. And what did God do? He took something chaotic and he created something beautiful. Maybe your world feels chaotic right now. It feels messy. It feels like it's falling apart. Listen. You're in a good place. God is in the business of taking nothing and creating something, of taking brokenness and creating something beautiful. And all you have to do today, again, is trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Believe the gospel and know that when you do, that he will pour out his spirit in you. You will receive his love and that love will, I'm telling you, begin to transform your life from the inside out to be the man, to be the woman that you were created to be.